The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 87 of the Underdog Sports MLB show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. I don't like to get political on the show, but Bryce, I just want to ask you this. When they called the election for Joe Biden Saturday, had you ever been in an atmosphere that was more electric than Manhattan and the people going crazy when the election was called? Um, I mean, like, the, the, the fun answer is no. The truthful answer is the Titans game two weeks ago is more electric. Even with a minimalistic crowd? Even with, at a greatly reduced capacity. That was more uh, – I mean, look, there was screaming, but there's only so much you can do. Uh, Brooklyn seemed to go off the rails. That seemed like a party. Uh, the Savannah, Georgia, St. Patrick's Day, I'd also say was more electric. Um, just my tiny plane of people that went up to Mount Denali. That was a more electric crew. Um, the team of Germans that I spent a night in the desert with, they were more electric. Who else? You know, we'll just leave it at that for now. Okay. That's uh, that's fair enough. My mind is still blown, as I told you many times over Saturday, that there were not more major car accidents in Manhattan Saturday with all the cars honking. But I'm glad that that wasn't the case and that the election is at least in theory behind us and we could focus on other stuff, which is the official start of the hot stove season. But before we get into Yankee number 87, uh, to give a little preview of what's to come, they announced their first awards tonight, uh, the BBWA awards, the rookies of the year. We're going to go through all the finalists uh, as well as the rookie of the year winners. Um, But what do you think on Bavada Sportsbook coming into the year would have been more unlikely that Alex Cora came back as manager of the Boston Red Sox following the season, or that one of the two rookie of the year winners would be the first relief pitcher in baseball history to win the award without recording the save that season. Uh, It's definitely the, the Williams, the Williams odds. Uh, I I think we had even speculated on this show that if if things go downhill in Boston, it it would, it's not out of the realm of possibility than bringing Cora back. I really, I mean, did, did, I mean, and that was at the day of his firing or suspension. Um, I mean, and he was the front runner as soon as it ended. I, I think this was kind of pretty clearly drawn out. So no, I know that rookie of the year for a reliever, it's been done. It's doable, obviously. Um, the Houston Street comes to mind. Last but, year to do it was Kimbrell in 2011. Okay. This has been a while. Not easy. But doing it with no saves is super fucking impressive. Yeah, so there's my, there's my early fun fact. We'll get to Cora very shortly as well as the awards and, uh, analysis. But number 87 on the Yankees, uh, you know me. Even the obscure guys, usually I have at least heard of them. Uh, this is a guy, especially given that he made appearances for the Yankees every year from 2009 to 2013, um, that I've never heard of, but maybe you have. 
Um, Charlie, I don't even know if I can say his last name, Charlie Wansiewicz. Have you ever heard of this guy? Uh, do you mean Charlie Gronkowski? No, no. That's, I mean, you know, Gronk is up there with one of the most famous 87s, but I, I've never heard of this guy. And you know why I've never heard of this guy? Because he was the batting practice pitcher for the Yankees. And they don't mention that on yankeesnumbers.com. Uh, Chase, you got to do your research before we start recording next time. Go that extra level. But at the same time, sometimes it's good to catch me off my toes. Catch myself off my toes, I guess. We'll have to hear the physics behind that at some point. Speaking of catching myself off my toes, it was really reassuring when we played softball this weekend for me to pull in the third base and not fall on my ass or face. Dude, you and I were hitting very well. You, you know were pulling off of power, which I, I love to see from you. I think we always have pride when we play softball, but when it's a pickup game and it's Scatico versus the world, even though we had it was Scatico and Colgate. Um, but when there's anything where it's Scatico versus the world, we're playing hard, we're repping. And yeah, when, we, when we have to say no more, when we're, when we're repping, we're fucking repping. We're, and we kick the crap out of those guys. Yeah, we, we, we gave them that early lead. Not our best, a little sloppy in the field, won't name names. But, uh, you know, when, when push comes to shove, we, we have a lineup with capabilities of putting up these nine-run innings like no other camp. Calls to Los Angeles Dodgers of – Beer League Sleep White Camp softball. Uh, before we transition off of 87, most famous 87 ever, Gronk or the kid? Ooh, that's a good call. Um, I mean, my mind's just drawn to football, so I, which is why I made the Gronk joke earlier. But, uh, I mean, the, the kid's a top 10 hockey player. I was going to say, probably the first time that we, you know, had to expand our numbers because there's no Yankees that we've had an all-time great in two different sports. Um, yeah, because, I mean, it's just because there's not a lot of – there's just not a lot of I – mean, when you get this high, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be, right? It's got to I mean, you, you got some work. There are very few hockey numbers. But 87 is a big one. I'm forgetting if – I think Lemieux was 66, and we must have skipped him. But I can't even think of the 66 for other sports. Once you get above 60 for me, it gets tough. Baseball or hockey or basketball? I mean, I guess in football, above 60 is somewhat easy because you have all the defensive players. But You have the D-line and the receiving core. I mean, I, I'm just offhand going from 87 – I mean, 92 is a big one in football. Correct. Somebody I feel like I left out, um, just and maybe it was because of when the list were. I mean, I didn't mention Dwight Clark, but he made the catch with Joe Montana. Was yeah, Richie made the catch, not any other catch. Was Reggie Wayne 87? Yes, Reggie Wayne was 87, but, but so what? Well, I mean, that's going to be a guy who's ultimately a Hall of Fame football player. That, I mean, we'll talk, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, put, I'll put a pin in our Reggie Wayne conversation for next week when we talk about Marvin Harrison. And we can talk about them as a duo. I'm going to preview this question for next week, but which Hall of Fame or soon-to-be Hall of Fame receiving duo in the primes would you have wanted, Reggie Wayne and Marvin or Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce? I think Isaac Bruce was also 88, right? I believe so. Just fact check that one. Or at a minimum, he was eighty. 
He was eighty. But that is the duo I was thinking of. So I, I can't. I'll give. I'll give. I'll give props. So we'll, we'll put a pin in that for next week. But as we said at the start of the show, Alex Cora is back in Boston. Uh, they brought him back on a two-year deal. Jeez, right. that, we went all over the place to get back to this. It's, it's all right. That happens sometimes. That's why I'm here to reel us back in. Uh, deal runs through 2022 with the two-year club option for the 23 and 24 seasons. Cora said, I'm grateful for the opportunity to manage once again and return to the game I love my entire life. I'm eager to get back to work with our front office coaches and especially our players. Boston is where I always wanted to be, and I could not be more excited to help the Red Sox achieve our ultimate goal of winning in October. Uh, the Red Sox interviewed upwards of nine candidates, and then ultimately it was down to a final five. Uh, but the last two in the mix Thursday uh, were Cora and Sam Fold, the director of integrated performance for the Phillies. I see. Uh, if you're trying to show me a message right now, I, I, I can't see it. Sure. Stay tuned next week. In addition to the Isaac Bruce conversation, you'll see, you'll also be able to see the conclusion of how my blind date uh, orchestrated through my cousin's hinge match goes. Probably the most exciting thing we're going to report next week, unless there is a shocking result in the awards, which is possible, but doesn't happen a lot. Um, this was a very, I mean, again, it wasn't interesting that Cora ended up as the manager of the Red Sox, but when you read more about the process, um, at one point he even said to Kyan Bloom straight up, do you trust me? And Kyan Bloom, I think at that point, had to answer one way or the other. Again, there was some overlap here because they didn't let Cora go until January, February, when the whole sign-stealing punishment came down with the Astros. Uh, and again, people have to remember, not only was Cora beloved by Red Sox players and fans, but... I mean, they won 108 games his first year as a manager in 2018. Club record, 11-3 in the postseason. Won their fourth World Series title in the span of 15 years. Even in 2019 in the down year, 84-78. and 78. But Devers, Bogarts, Benatendi, all those young guys really made the leap under Cora. Um, ultimately, what, the conclusion me and you have come to is that it would have been more of a PR hit if they didn't hire him, I think, within the Boston media than if they did. Um, my two questions for you are, the first one is, if A.J. Hinch isn't hired by the Tigers to kind of, you know, be the first team to get themselves out there and say the sign-stealing scandal doesn't really matter to us as much, do you think the core hire still takes place? And then my yeah, second the question. Yeah, this core hire was independent of Hinch. The Red Sox like Cora as a manager. Cora happened to be available to be their manager. They brought him back. They liked the guy. They, brought, they didn't want to suspend him. He had to – at the end of the day, he sat out 60 games. Amazing. He sat out 60 games in less than a calendar year as manager of the Red Sox. Um, but my second question for you is, and I couldn't do the research on this, but what do you think the Bavada odds would have been on this? Uh, I think it's got to be a huge long shot. But if they had hired Sam Fold, do you think that this would have been the first all-Jewish front office leader and head coach slash manager combination in sports history? It would have had to have been, right? No, Matt Holman. Who was the GM? Again, Matt there's Holman. Been, again, there's been Jewish guys who have one role or the other, but I think that two Jewish guys running both sides of your team, I'd have to think that's never happened before. I I, I think it's happened. I don't even know what to look up. I won't even look up. I won't. I, I'm just gonna say I, I believe it's happened. Chase doesn't. There's a lot to stay tuned for in next week's episode. 
Did you think there was any chance? I mean, to me, again, I, we thought Cora was a favorite to begin with. The only reason I thought Sam Fold had a shot was because Hyam Bloom came from the Rays. Sam Fold was a Rays guy. Um, he God, played so with young. Red Sox later in his career. Um, if Cora wasn't the Sam guy. Sam Fold never played for the Red Sox. Then one of my talent um, gave me bad information, and I apologize for that. I mean, unless I'm looking at the wrong Sam Fold. I'm assuming there's only one Sam Fold in baseball. The one with type 1 diabetes? I believe that is him. His father is with the Jewish father and the mother Catholic? Yep, that sounds right. Uh, my last question on this, because we both agree that this was the right hire. I think everyone agrees, so we won't spend too much time on this. But if they didn't bring back Cora, do you think somebody like Fold with no managerial experience – given what this team has gone through in the past year, um, would have been a smart move? Or if it wasn't Cora, it should have been somebody else, at least with some big league experience? I think – I mean, like, the Red Sox had a bad year this year, no doubt. Um, they underperformed. But they still have a team that is ready to compete, if, with assuming Sale gets back to close to 100%. I mean, Sale's going to go in the next season – with a, a, he's a he's he's an ace, no question about it. Uh, between Devers, Martinez, Bogarts, these guys can hit. So I, I, mean, I, was, I, I and you know, I feel like they want to prove something after Mookie just won it all. Well, to me, the guy who doesn't get talked about nearly enough for why the Red Sox were so bad this year is that uh, they lost Eduardo Rodriguez all year to complicate heart complications to COVID nineteen. He may um, never come back normal. I, he, I, I would I would count on him. But if he is back next year, it's like obviously Sale is the guy who, you know, has had this historic career. But Rodriguez in 2019 won 19 games and had over 200 strikeouts. He was the ace. So, I mean, yes, losing Sale was huge. But to me, losing Rodriguez was just as big. Um, but I think ultimately yeah, – I mean, if this ends up being a chronic cardiac condition, then you can't, you can't count on him for anything. I think ultimately what it comes down to, Sale and Rodriguez coming back is big. It's – is John Henry going to spend money again? Because like we talked about with the Mets and Steve Cohen, the teams that are willing to spend money are set up to have a massive offseason because the majority of the owners aren't. This is the Red Sox. They are one of the most storied franchises in the sports history. They got their manager back who led them to their last ring. Uh, to me, and it pains me to say it as a Yankee fan, uh, they need to go out, spend money, crush the offseason, and be rocking and rolling for next year. They're going to sign Kluber. I've already, <laughs> already been reported. The Red Sox have Corey Kluber. I just think even if they sign, even if they get Sale and Rodriguez back with Kluber, I just think that's not enough, honestly. I don't know if JD without video is ever going to be the same. And not to say that he cheats, but video and in-game adjustments was such a big part of his game. He's been the first one to say it. And his back completely collapsed this year. Ben Attendee took a huge step back. They're going to probably lose JBJ. And that bullpen this year was historically atrocious. I mean, the bullpen is the biggest concern. The bull, if, if they don't fix the bullpen, they won't compete. Because I think I would expect Tampa to take a step back. I would expect the Yankees to actually get better. I would expect the Blue Jays to get better. The Orioles will remain a non-factor. Uh, but those three teams at the top are tough. You mentioned players, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, with a chronic heart condition. Um, and it reminded me of a text that I meant to forward along to you earlier today. 
um, about Kenley Jansen that my dad sent me. Did you know that in Kershaw's first professional start in the minor leagues, Kenley Jansen was his catcher? What does this have to do with chronic heart condition? He had a chronic heart condition that he had to get corrected. Are you sure it was a chronic heart condition then? 100%. I got heart surgery. Well, then maybe you and I have different definitions of chronic. To me, if you're getting surgery on your heart, it's something chronic that needs operation. I'm pulling up the definition for chronic. I mean, again, I'm, I'm the guy in the entertainment business. You're the guy in the pharmaceutical medical world, but... You don't get rid of chronic conditions. Regardless, a heart condition. <laughs> oh, God. I like have no idea what the response to this girl, but... We're on. Uh, I would be concerned about Rodriguez going forward. You've seen athletes. I mean, granted, it's been a short turnaround time for the other athletes we've seen, but people have not responded well to the coming back from Corona-19 diagnosis. I agree with you. I think mean, Freeman, obvious exception, we'll talk about later, Freddie Freeman. I think core was a big step in the right direction, but again, the Red Sox still have a lot of work to do to getting back to contention. Um, but you mentioned Freeman. Freeman is a finalist for the MVP. So we will start with the MVP finalists in the National League. Uh, this is in alphabetical order. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Manny Machado. Uh, Betts this year, 292, 366, 562, 16 homers, 10 steals, and he has received MVP votes each year since 15, including the runner-up in 16, and he won the award in 18. Uh, Freeman has never finished higher than fourth in the MVP voting previously. He had 341, 13 homers, MLB leading 23 doubles, 53 ribbies, 1.102 OPS. Uh, Machado, solid all-around season, 16 homers, 6 steals, uh, which put him on pace for 43 homers and 16 steals over 162 games, 304, 370, 580. Great glove at third base. Um, I mean, to me, these were the three that, in my opinion, on my ballot, I would have had. Um, I'll hold off for a second on what order I would have had them in. But were you surprised, given how much he lit up baseball the first half of the year, that it was Machado and not Tatis representing the Padres of these finalists? Um, well, I don't think Machado is going to win the award. So I'll get that out of the way. You know what? Maybe Machado. I mean, these guys all have pretty compelling cases, as does Tatis. I would have liked to see Tatis get that three spot. I think he's going to finish fourth, full disclosure. Yeah, my guess is he's going to be a very close fourth. And I think that fourth is going to be close, closer to first than, I don't know, seventh? I mean, it's going to be a very close race. All right, so of these three, um, Bavada does not have who the favorite is at the moment, but who would you, what would your ballot be one, two, three in order? For the NL MVP? Um, my ballot goes Betts, Freeman, Machado. But I do think Freeman is going to win. I'm going to go Freeman, Betts, Machado. But if Mookie wins, uh, not only will I not bat an eye, but I won't be surprised one way or the other. No, it's not. A, and, if, and if Machado wins, the same thing. All three of these guys have put together MVP caliber 60-game seasons. Here's an interesting follow-up question for you with the Machado. As did Tatis. For the Machado-Tatis debate, what was more important, do you think, for the Padres? Tatis making the year two leap or Machado playing like the $30 million player that they signed him to be? I mean, I, is it a combat answer to say both? Because I don't think that team makes the playoffs without, either of these, without both of these guys putting up MVP seasons. I think that's how this team's built. 
No, I don't think it's a cop-out. I, I think, yeah, both of them needed to succeed. I, I mean, to me, just uh, Tatis is going to in all likelihood be there the next 10 years. I think given you have Machado signed for so long to see him play like the $30 million a year guy has to be so reassuring for Padres fans. But I mean, regardless, you have a left side of the infield that's going to be, you know, uh, offensively and defensively a force in the national league for years and years to come, which as a Padres fan is it's a good sign. I mean, for as long as Lindor's there, I think you have to give Cleveland the nod as best third base shortstop in the league. Well, we'll touch on that towards the end of the show, but I give Lindor another couple months there at best. Uh, but I mean, I, I would take that for the next 10 years. Who would you, who, who rivals them? The, um, Arenado story? <laughs> yes, but I think it's another example where I think of all the duos we just named, this is the duo that has the most likely staying power for the next 10 years. Um, I don't see Arenado to stay there the length of that contract. I do not either. So we'll see what happens. The American League side and the MVP finalists, again, no real surprises here. Uh, Jose Abreu, DJ LeMayu, Jose Ramirez, the finalists. Um, Abreu led the AL with 76 hits and 617 slugging percentage. Also led the majors with 60 ribbies, 148 total bases, 19 homers were second to Luke Boyd's 22. Uh, LeMayu finished fourth in the AL MVP, last voting last year in his first year with the Yanks. Uh, led the majors with a 364 average, paced all AL hitters in on-base percentage and OPS. Uh, Ramirez, after back-to-back third-place finishes in the AL MVP voting at 17 and 18. Disappointing 18, but this past year, career-best 993 OPS, 17 homers, 10 steals, which would have equated to 45 homers and 27 steals in an 162-game season. Uh, again, for this one, Bavada does not have the favorites, um, but I think this race is going to be – the tightest of all of the awards. Um, I'm going to go with the Homer pick here. I think Abreu is going to win it, but my ballot would be DJ Abreu Ramirez in that order. That's such a Homer pick. It's going to be, I, I think it's, I think Jose is going to win this award and he's the most deserving of this award. Um, DJ I'd put in the two spot because that average is so much higher than Jose. And then uh, I put Ramirez at three. I, I think Abreu is deserving of it. I think he's got the narrative on his side. It, to me, it goes back to last year when we were debating Bellinger versus Yelich. Um, if a guy leads the league in on-base, average, and OPS, I, to me, almost by definition, that means he was the best hitter in the league. Um, and LeMayu certainly had more defensive value than Abreu. I believe Abreu played more games. Um, but again, if it's DJ or Abreu, I think the writers would get it right either way in this case. It would be something for DJ's free agency if, if he gets the MVP award. His already high value will just skyrocket even more. Yeah. What, do you, make, what do you make of the fact that this will be uh, the first time in a couple of years now that we're not going to see Mike Trout finish in the top three of the MVP voting? Doesn't deserve to be. It's about time. I think I said this after he won it last year. He's got three. He has to start winning games to get this award. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. It's, uh, I mean, I think he's still going to finish in the top five. I mean, he's, I mean, who, he's going to be four or five. I think him, Tim Anderson, Void will be in the lower half of the top ten. Rendon will be up there. Maybe Pools. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of – 
because the Rays didn't really have any one standout guy. Brandon Lau? Although, uh, honestly, Bieber will probably finish near the top five. Bieber will be in the top – I mean, I, I could see it going Bieber four, top five, Anderson six. All right, so talking about – There's Bieber, no way Bavada has down ballot odds, right? I don't believe they do. You can't take an over-under on where Trout's going to finish? It would be interesting odds. Probably, yeah. The over-under for Trout's probably four and a half. Yeah, and I might take the under. I mean, there. I think there are writers that just put him first on principle. But I think you can make an argument, like, looking at Abreu and DJ's numbers, and even Jose's, that he was not the best player, even statistically, in the AL this year. I, I mean, if you really look closely in at Rendon's numbers through a fine-tooth comb, you could probably make the case Rendon had a better season. And if you can make any kind of an argument that a guy on his own team wasn't the most valuable player, to me, he's not the MVP. But I guess then that gets into the Abreu-Tim Anderson conversation. So I'm going to stop. And then there. it also gets into the LeMayu void. You could so also- I'm going to stop there before we go down this rabbit hole. Um, A.L. Cy Young will plow through it. Bieber. Bieber. What were you going to say? Bieber. That's it. It's there. We can plot there in one word. No, Bieber. no. I just I want to give Maeda and Ryu, Ryu a little bit of love. I mean, Bieber, again, uh, he led the AL in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. Um, but it's it's amazing, and it just shows how incredible this Dodgers team was, that they won the World Series and got rid of Ryu and Maeda, who were going to finish 2-3 in the Cy Young voting. Um, and still, they, they had the pitching to win the World Series. Um, Maeda, with the Twins this year, .75 whip. Overall, fantastic year, 6-1, and one, 270 RA, 80 strikeouts, 66 and two-thirds. Uh, Ryu goes to the American League, AL East. ERA wasn't quite as low as when he led the NL last year with 2-3-2, but 5-2, ERA, career-best 9.7 Ks per nine. Pitched the Blue Jays into the playoffs. Uh, would you go – I would probably go Ryu 2 made a 3, but what do you think? Uh, writers love whip, man. Maeda led the league in whip. Give him the nod. Do you think – I got to ask the Yankee Homer question that Garrett Cole should have been in the top three of this vote. No. I mean, I, there, there was a stretch of the season when Garrett Cole – where we were wondering if Garrett Cole was worth this contract and if we made a massive mistake. The one – I yeah, I'm with you. I think one guy who I think got overlooked in this vote and I'm intrigued to see where he finished was Dallas Keuchel. Uh, he finished six and one with, I believe, an ERA under two. I think it was like one nine nine. Uh, and again, Giolito obviously had the no hitter and was the more dominant pitcher. But I think Keuchel was the real anchor of that rotation the whole year. So Giolito, my preseason pick. So I'm intrigued to see where Keuchel finished, but I, I have no complaints with the AL. Uh, NL. This is going to be a fascinating race between Bauer, Darvish, Degrom. Um, Bauer this year led the NL 173 ERA, struck out 100 batters over 73 innings. He allowed one earned run or fewer in eight of his 11 starts while striking out at least 12 batters in four of them. Uh, Darvish at one point was 7-0 with a .98 ERA over seven starts from July 31st to September 4th. Uh, finished the year 8-3, and 201 ERA, 93 strikeouts and 12 starts. Uh, DeGrom, it's, it's amazing that DeGrom, they're saying, still finished with a respectable 238 ERA. Um, it just shows how dominant he was the past two years. Uh, and he led the NL with 104 strikeouts. How do you vote for this one? I, to me, I think we both agree Bauer's the guy just because he especially – not only with the numbers, but really picks the Reds into the playoffs towards the end. But what's your ballot here? Uh, I think Bauer the last week of the season uh, won the award. 
Darvish had a great start to the year. He kind of pitched himself out of it. And but like as great as Degrom has been on those on those bad Mets teams these past three years, this season the shortened season he just had a couple of starts where he gave up two instead of one, and that put his RA a little bit too high. I just think this award was so cool because even if you go back and listen to our shows, there were so many points throughout the season where it was, this is Bauer's award to win or Darvish's award to win or DeGrom's award to win. We're like, Don't forget about the week it was Corbin Burns. I was going to say Corbin Burns. I mean, Max Fried was 7-0 with a low ERA. Um, Danielson Lament for the Padres. I mean, the NL pitching this year was loaded. Um, it's going to be a very deep Cy Young ballot, but I would go Bauer, Darvish, DeGrom in order. I'd probably put DeGrom, too. I mean, DeGrom's getting to that point where it's kind of like trout, where you just put him, you just give him the award because he's just he's the best. Just on, on principle. But, I mean, it, it, again, to me, the biggest thing with DeGrom is the fact that in the blurb that I copied for our notes, it says a respectable 2-3-8 ERA. Says just how dominant he has been these past couple of years. Uh, Rookie of the Year, like we said, was announced today. AL finalists were Christian Javier of the Astros, Kyle Lewis of the Mariners, Luis Robert of the White Sox. Uh, Lewis won it unanimously in the AL. Robert was second. Christian Javier was third. Um, what was the uh, What was the Degrom ERA? Two three eight this year. Last year his ERA was two four three, and Verlander's was two five eight. So, uh, again, a lower ERA than both of the Cy Young winners last year, and it was only considered uh, respectable. Uh, Lewis this year, good all-around year, 11 homers, five steals, unbelievable grand slam robbery late in the year against Ramon Laureano uh, when the Mariners were playing the A's. I think he was the first rookie in quite some time, I read, to lead his team in average home runs, ribbies, uh, and I think steals all across the board. So no problems with me with Lewis winning it unanimously. Uh, And in the National League, again, Alec Baum, Cronworth, we mentioned Devin Williams winning it. Um, Cronworth was the guy that we said was going to win it the whole year. He actually finished third, um, and that's a credit to Baum, who even though he didn't come up until August 13th, he had 338, 400, 481, four homers, 11 doubles, 22 ribbies, and 44 games. Uh, Cronworth was hitting 356, 411, 624 into September. Uh, Cooled off down the stretch, but still finished hitting 285, 354, 477. Four homers, 15 doubles, three steals. Huge part of that Padres playoff team. Uh, but again, Devin Williams at 26. His changeup is nicknamed the Avatar or the Airbender. That's why I was thinking Avatar. Uh, 27 innings, 0.33 ERA, 0.63 whip, uh, struck out 53 batters. Um, and I, to me, and you could tell me if I'm crazy for thinking this, but how bad of a look would it have been if Devin Williams was named NL reliever of the year last week, but didn't win the rookie of the year this week? I mean, it was a rookie reliever of the year. But that's what I'm saying. If he was voted the best reliever in the National League but didn't win rookie of the year, that would have been absolutely batshit crazy to me. Why? I mean, there are a lot of – it's relief pitching. It's different categories. He's going up against a different pool of people. I just think if you were the best at a position in your league with everyone all encompassed, chances are you're going to be the best rookie that year. I'm thinking about this psycho. <laughs> My cousin's a psychopath. But I do. It's like, it's such a weird thing. It's a relief pitcher award. Relievers pitch, in this setting, they pitch 60 game season. If, I mean, I don't think Cronenworth or Bowen put together a particularly outstanding rookie campaign. If they were going up against like a Trout Harper 
20, 2012 season, then he wasn't going to win this award. He could have still won the reliever. It's just because everybody else was kind of eh. One thing to look forward to for next year is, despite his postseason heroics, Randy Arozarena played few enough games in the regular season to qualify for the 2021 Rookie of the Year award. Something to look out for there. Um, Manager of the Year, and then we'll wrap this up. AL finalist Kevin Cash of the Rays, Charlie Montoyo. Ooh, Kevin Cash. Charlie Montoyo of the Blue Jays. And amazingly enough, because he just got fired, Rick Renteria of the White Sox. Um, I would probably go Cash, Montoyo, Renteria in order there. Yeah, that checks out. Um, I think it – I mean, all three. Uh, I think Cash did the most with the least. The other two guys got there a year early. I think the one thing that will be interesting with Montoya and his votes is 32 and 28. Yes, it did get there a year early, but the fact that they couldn't play in Toronto the whole season, they had to play in Buffalo. Uh, I'm interested to see how much that factors into the vote, if at all. You know, I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. Um, because that's a real challenge. That's uprooting. Not that everybody wasn't uprooted. That's You don't even have a home base. Correct. I mean, they literally were turning their minor league facility in Buffalo into a big league caliber facility on the fly this year. And we know as Yankee fans, I mean, we got our asses pounded there. Um, Blue Jays absolutely hammered the Yankees in Buffalo. Uh, So credit to Montoyo for making that work. Uh, And over in the National League, the finalists, Don Mattingly of the Marlins, David Ross of the Cubs, Jace Tingler of the Padres. Uh, to me, I mean, Tingler, uh, you mentioned a year early. I think the Padres, the fact that they were 37-23. and 23, uh, Padres best- are another – they're a classic year early team. The Marlins were a decade early. I mean, the Padres' 617 winning percentage was the single best single single best winning percentage in franchise history for one year. I mean, we talked about how much how the Cubs kind of collapsed towards the end and how they need to be broken up. But again, 34-26, they won their first NL Central since 2017 in Ross's first year. Uh, but to me – Marlins this year were 31 and 29. It was their first winning record since 2009. Uh, they made the playoffs. I know the play postseason doesn't count towards this voting, but won a playoff series against the Cubs. Uh, to me, given that the Marlins had to use 61 players because of that COVID-19 breakout early in the year. Donnie, Dude, this is like the greatest time to be a Miami sports fan. Yeah, I think Donnie's got to be manager of the year this year. I would go Donnie, Tingler, David Ross. I mean, just think about the sports scene in Miami right now. Yeah, I mean, two uh, Dolphins are, what, five and three now? Heat made the finals. The Florida Panthers um, did something. Probably made the playoffs. I see. I feel like they're usually in the mix of things in my limited I think they not- signed uh, – uh, uh, let's see, Florida Panthers. Yeah, give me some Florida Panthers info, please. Yeah, we're, we're on it. We're on the, I'll get you the Florida Panthers details. Toot sweet, Chase. Toot sweet. Toot sweet. But on the Miami sports scene for our big Miami. I didn't even know the Florida Panthers played in Miami, to be honest. So you just taught me that. Yeah, they um, they I think they're like right outside Miami, technically. They had a very weird stadium deal. I can send you their stadium leasing agreement if you want. I'm okay, but what was the record last year? That's what the, that's what the people want to hear. They were um, they made the playoffs. We think we made the playoffs. We we, we made it. They were the – well, as long as 10 seeds make the playoffs, they were the 10 seed. And you know what else? We'll take it a step further. I mean, the Miami Hurricanes of football this year, 
I think they're right now 10 or 11 in the rankings. They're as relevant under Manny Diaz as they've been in years. So great time to be a Miami sports fan. But they got, I mean, they, they, they get, who they get smoked by? Clemson? Yeah, but that's okay. You get a I think they got smoked by Clemson, and I, I would imagine when that day comes, they, uh, they will proceed to get smoked by Notre Dame. We'll see what happens. That's why you play the game. Um, sticking in the NL East, one of Miami's uh, division mates, the New York Mets. Steve Cohen's officially the new owner of the team. Uh, and within 24 hours, uh, brought in Sandy Alderson to be the team president. And almost immediately, Brody Van Wagner was removed as GM. Uh, they said he was leaving the team, which is a nice way, I think, of saying he was fired. Um, Adam Guttridge and Alan Baird, who were the assistant GMs, are gone. Omar Manaya is also gone as well. Um, Van Wagenen, again, he took over after 2018. Mets went 86 and 76 in his first year, finished third in the NL East, ended up firing Mickey Callaway, hiring Carlos Beltran. That was a disaster because of how Beltran was implicated in the sign stealing. From then, Rojas became manager. This year, 26 and 34. Um, And in my mind, pretty much every deal Brody made was bad. I mean, Todd Frazier bust as a free agent. I don't think Jed Lowry ever played a game for the Mets. We know about the Cano and Edwin Diaz trade and how that blew up. Uh, so the writing was on the wall here. Again, if there was a Bavada line, this would have been minus 10,000. I honestly think that Brody was going to get fired once Cohen took over. Um, my, my two questions for you from this are, I guess, three questions, actually. So I'll go one by one. The first of which is, do you think we'll see Brody in a baseball front office again, or do you think he goes back to the agent thing? I know we don't know very little about this. I don't know. I, I don't know how that transition works going back. I, I I think it's tough to go back. All right. Question two is, you know, what do you think we can expect out of Sandy Alderson? I mean, the Mets were fairly successful his first go around. Made the playoffs a few times again. Had the World Series appearance in 2015. But you know, can we expect Sandy to do some wheeling and dealing now that this go around he's not restricted by the Will Pond's finances? I mean, that, that job is inherently much harder if you're restricted financially. So having the open, the open book is, uh, will make his job much easier. I, I, so, yeah, he'll do better. And just – Well, how- look, you got to one World Series with the Bulldogs, correct? Correct. And from a player develop standpoint – developed the Grom. Well, and, but even if you look at the drafts, Dom Smith was one of his guys, Nemo, Conforto, you know, a lot of this core – Who did they trade the to the Mariners for Cano? Jared Kalenic, who's a stud prospect, and Justin Dunn, who's already in their rotation. And I don't believe that was a Sandy Alderson move. No, that was Brody. So there you go. Alderson knows what he's doing, unlike Brody. My last question for this, uh, for you, is, you know, how attractive of a job is this, knowing it's New York, but Cohen's going to spend money, but you're going to be under Alderson. You know, if you're a guy, you know, the names that have been thrown around are Chris Antonetti, who's the team president in Cleveland, or Mike Chernoff, their GM. If you're a team that's comfortably with a playoff contender, is this a job that you would consider leaving your current post to go become the GM of the Mets? I'm, is this job attractive? Yeah, it's New York. It's new owner syndrome, so he's willing to spend – I mean, if you're looking to make a splash quick uh, and get paid a bunch of money to do it, yeah, take this job. If you were to take a guess, is there anyone that comes to mind for you that you think could be the next GM in the Mets? No. I, it's, this is a weird position to speculate for. 
I'm going to throw out one name, um, and this is this is completely contingent on if Billy Bean does have to leave the A's because of his what would be ownership interest in the Red Sox if John Henry's group goes public. Um, I can see David Forrest, the GM of the A's, saying if Bean goes, I'm going to go to the Mets, work with Alderson, who also has Oakland ties. Obviously, he's the one who brought Bean there. Um, and just say, you know what, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be with a guy who's like-minded in terms of saber metrics, but also be able to spend money. Best of both worlds. I mean, when you put it that way, it seems like the best job out there. You don't, there's, there's no way to lose. It's the Mets. There's always a way to lose. Uh, a former Met who made news this week, and you and I were both very surprised, is that Justin Turner will not be punished uh, for returning to the field to celebrate with the Dodgers after the World Series victory with a COVID-19 positive test. Uh, Rob Manfred said that we all have made mistakes as we've navigated these unprecedented challenges and have tried to learn with, from those mistakes so they are not repeated. With this in mind, I am closing this matter by applauding Justin for accepting responsibility, apologizing, and making a commitment to set a positive example going forward. Manfred said teammates actively encouraged Turner to leave his isolation room and return to the field, adding that many teammates felt that they had been exposed and were willing to tolerate additional risk. Manfred's statements and Turner believed he will receive permission, receive permission from at least one Dodgers employee and that an unidentified person incorrectly told them that other teammates had tested positive, creating the impression in Mr. Turner's mind that he was being singled out for isolation. Um, if Turner's not going to get punished, I mean, I think me and you called for at least a 15-game suspension last week. Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. If it's true that the Dodgers encouraged him to be on the field, do you think there should be a punishment for the Dodgers coming forward then? Or at this point... It is what it is, and we just closed the book on uh, what could have been a potentially catastrophic mistake by Justin Turner coming to the field. I mean, I do think it'll get forgetting, forgotten about over time. I think at the end of the day, as stupid as as stupid as it was, as uh, as terrible as the optics were, um, I mean, you can say no harm, no foul, and that's, I guess, how Manfred decides to look at it. And in the long run, it'll be forgotten. But... Um, I mean, so yeah, it'll be forgotten. And Manfred doesn't want to have this. It's much easier for Manfred to start next season without hearing the headline of Justin Turner, Dodgers all-star third baseman, is out because he did this. So in your mind, so in your mind, is this another Manfred cop-out, or do you think he legitimately did make the right decision here? I think there's just so much we don't know that it's hard, honestly a little bit hard to tell. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think I just explained the rationale. No, in the end, in the end of the day, nobody else got infected because of what Turner did. Um, so let's just get this shit behind us. Fair enough. Fair enough. Close the chapter on it. Uh, moving to the hot stove real quick. Six players receive qualifying offers. Again, that's a one-year $18.9 million contract. Uh, and if you decline the offer and you sign with another team, the team, your previous team gets drafted compensation for the team signing you. Trevor Bauer already declined. LeMahieu, Stroman, JT Realmuto, uh, George Springer, and Kevin Gausman were the six players to receive offers. Um, I think we all agree that the first five are not going to accept. They'll get multi-year free agent deals. But if you're Kevin Gausman coming off of a career year at age 29, um, you're probably not going to get more than $18.9 million a year anywhere on the market. Uh, do you strongly consider taking this offer from the Giants, especially given the fact that a year ago, he was non-tendered, and that's what led him to San Francisco in the first place. I don't remember that. I that 
that's forgotten to me. I, I, I still think that offer is ridiculous. That Kevin Gass- so you would take it if you're Kevin Gasman. Absolutely. Yeah, to me, that's a no-brainer. Uh, a few other guys who didn't get offers, just say yes or no. I'll just rattle them off. You were surprised they didn't. Uh, Michael Brantley? That's a lot of money for one, uh, for one, for one year. Okay. What about, uh, I mean, I know Oakland is cheap, but Marcus Simeon or Liam Hendricks, was it worth maybe just trying to get either one of your Simeon, Simeon should have received the offer, but I mean, that market at shortstop is fairly concentrated. And Hendricks, 18.9, just too much for a one-year deal with the closer, even if he was maybe the best in baseball last year? I mean, that's a lot of money to give your closer, if, um, especially for a team like Oakland, whose foundation is don't overpay for closers. One guy I want to note, if you're surprised why he wasn't on the list, is uh, Marcelo Zuna couldn't receive a qualifying offer this year because he got one the previous season. And the way that the CBA is written, uh, you can't get a qualifying offer two years in a row. Uh, we also had our first free agent signing this week in the AL East. Uh, the Blue Jays agreed to a one-year $8 million contract with free agent Robbie Ray. Uh, the 29-year-old last year, uh, very inconsistent. Uh, he led the league with 45 walks en route to a 6.62 ERA. But again, we've seen in the past uh, when Ray is on and throws strikes, he can be so dominant. 11.1 Ks per nine in his career, which is absolutely fantastic. Fastball average 93.9 miles per hour last year, according to StatCast. Uh, so the average velocity was there. Uh, to me, this doesn't move the needle that much one way or the other. Uh, Robbie Ray, when he's on, is great. When he's not, he's terrible. And I feel like he's not on more often than not as someone who drafts him in fantasy year after year, hoping he's going to cash in to that 289 ERA out of 2017. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is if Robbie Ray, who had a 662 ERA last year and led the. <laughs> my cousin put me. My cousin's a dumbass. If, <laughs> so stupid. If Ray last year, 45 walks, 662 ERA, if he's getting an $8 million contract and a one-year deal, is there a chance that this free agent market isn't going to be as bad as we all think it's going to be? There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Um, I mean, you don't want to franchise hams. Franchise get hamstrung when they sign guys to 10, maybe eight-year deals, and it's those back few years that really, that really start to cripple them. Someone like the Angels with Pujols towards the end. Uh, I mean, Rob, when you deal for Robbie Ray, it's like, is Robbie Ray a great pitcher? No, we know what his ceiling is. It's Robbie Ray. But the floor is so high because it is just the one year. And absolute worst case scenario, you, you flip him at the deadline for a pick or a prospect, or if he's doing well, maybe both. So comparatively speaking, if Robbie Ray got $8 million, maybe Kevin Gausman should have taken the $18.9 million, as I'm saying this out loud. He definitely should. For one year? I think maybe he shouldn't. If he's getting eight, maybe Gausman's getting like 17, 18 a year. I think it's crazy. Well, well, he, well, what's the, well, what's the, but, but how long? That's true. I, it's again, it's with all these guys, especially with the potential labor strike looming in 2021. It's what's the trade off for them for one year financial security versus long term financial security. And ultimately, we're not in the minds of the players to determine that. I mean, you'd assume the cap goes up. After, I mean, I, I would think there are going to be fans at least towards the latter half of the 2021. 20, I mean, there's also the, like the, the big variable looming over these contracts are the variable is 
will there be a lab- will there be a lockout or a strike in 2022? That's what I was saying with the labor dispute. Um, and even though revenue would go up, so in theory, owners would have more money to spend that following off season. Is there going to be a season during, after that following off season? Correct. Which brings which brings it together to say. Is it worth it to take the one-year deal and maximize your value for one year or lock in long-term financial security, given you don't know what the future is going to look like? But yeah, not- I think that, I think it's the, it's the, the labor dispute uh, would give me major cause for concern if I was the head man. Uh, and, I, I mean, he's talking to his agent. He knows better than we do what his market is. But if there's a team out there giving him four for 60. Yeah, he's, he's got to jump on it. Uh, so we don't know the long-term future, but we do know Robbie Ray's future. It's going to be in Toronto. Uh, one last set of awards to go through. Silver Sluggers and Gold Gloves were announced this week. Uh, I'm going to just run through them real quick, and you can jump in if there were any surprises for you. Uh, first base, Abreu won his third in the AL. Freddie Freeman won his second in the NL. DJ won his second in the AL at second. Uh, I wanted yeah, to the say- Freeman and Abreu are just like – they're so uh... – so, they're just like the AL NL equivalent of each other, aren't they're they? They're just so consistent for 100 ribbies in a normal year every year. You know exactly what you're going to get. From the two of them. DJ in the AL, no surprise there. Uh, NL, probably the biggest long shot of this whole list. Uh, shout out to Donovan Solano. 326, 365, 463 over 54 games with the Giants. Uh, his first silver slugger. And if you didn't know who Donovan Solano was coming into the year, uh, would you agree? I would say you were in the majority of baseball fans for that. Kudos to you. I mean, I no, I'm I'm saying I didn't even really know him either. Dude, I mean, he was on the Yanks four years ago. To me, the casual fan's not going to know him. Shortstop, I think we could be saying this for a long time. Tim Anderson in the AL, Tatis in the NL, no surprise there. Uh, In the third base position, Jose Ramirez in the AL, Machado in the NL. Uh, Is it surprising to you that this was Machado's first Silver Slugger award? Yes, very surprising. Who kept getting it over? Like Lindor? Well, how many would, would he have been at short or third in the AL? I guess that's part of the question. I mean, I, I just like, I'm just going to try and pull up the list. Jose Ramirez is third for what it's worth. While you pull that, I'm going to keep going. Salvador Perez won his third to catch in the AL. Uh, former Mets hidden big Travis Darnode in the NL won his first silver slugger, 321, 919 OPS. Uh, in the outfield in the AL, you had Trout winning his eighth. You had Eloy Jimenez winning his first with the White Sox, 296, 891 OPS, 14 homers. Uh, and another long shot and a really under-talked about guy in the AL, Teoscar Hernandez won his first with the Blue Jays, 289, 919 OPS uh, for the Blue Jays this year. Home run every 11.9 at bat, 16 homers in 50 games. And in the NL, Juan Soto won what would be the first of many, I would think, in the NL. Uh, Mookie Betts won his fourth. Ronald Acuna won his second. No surprise. God, how sick are those three outfielders? How great are all three of those players? I mean, that's like if your Silver Slugger winners are three of the best four outfielders in baseball, with Yelich probably making the fifth uh, um, in any order, um, that says a lot. Chase? Yes. I'm going to let you correct yourself there. I, that would be my top five in no order. Uh, and Judge? You, you didn't say favorite? Trout. Well, I'm saying three of the four, Trout being Trout was being the fourth, I meant. I thought Yelich was the fourth. No, no, no. Yelich was the fifth. 
Sorry if that was confusing. That was a little word gibberish. Bellinger's probably ahead of Yelich after Yelich had a very bad year. DH Nelson Cruz in the AL won his fourth. Nelson or Marcelo Zuna NLDH won his second. Um, again, to me, Solano and Teoscar Hernandez were the big surprises here. I guess Eloy and Darno to a lesser extent, although both build off of last season's success. Um, I guess this is a good point, though, to make a free agent question for you. It seems like Buster only said that we're going to have the universal DH again in 2021. But in case we don't, if you're Marcelo Zuna, are you looking to sign with an AL team or are you betting just enough that you could stick around in the outfield for a few more years and keeping your market open to both leagues? I mean, it's, I think the DH is going to be universal. I feel like it's hard to, I mean, you don't really see, People go make progress and then reverse course too often. Um, so it always, but it always helps to just prove versatility and say you can play the outfield. Yeah, I mean, he played 20-something games in the outfield. But, I mean, to me, I'd see Marcelo Zuna, and i just see a guy who could rake in the AL for years to come. Um, on the flip side of things, the Gold Glove winners were also announced. I don't have as much commentary on this one, but AL uh, first baseman Evan White, Anthony Rizzo won his – it uh, looks like his third straight gold glove and fourth in the past five years in the National League at first. Cesar Hernandez won it at second in the AL. Colton Wong, the recently released Colton Wong, won in the NL at second. J.B. Crawford at short in the AL. Javi Baez in the NL, winning his first. At third, you had Isaiah Kiner-Falafa in the AL. Nolan Arenado in the NL. Uh, Arenado, eight for eight in gold gloves, was also the Platinum Glove Award winner in the National League for the best overall defender. Um, Arenado's, Arenado wins that shit every year. I've never seen Isaiah Kiner-Falafa really play third, but God, I wish Gio had won that award. He, I mean, he wasn't. He didn't deserve it. You didn't think Gio deserved the gold glove? I, I, no. I, I didn't think so. A-Rod did. You, I guess, did. But I did not. Left field, Alex Gordon in the AL. He ended his career with a fourth consecutive gold glove and eighth overall. Also won the platinum glove in the American League. Tyler O'Neill led the led all left fielders with nine defensive runs saved and left for the Cardinals. He won in the NL center field, Luis Robert in his rookie year, second in the AL rookie of the year vote also won a gold glove in center field. Trent Grisham fellow rookie in the national league, won it in center. Um, and this is a pretty interesting one because coming into the year, what was Trent Grisham best known for? Um, he's got a funny name. The nationals world series one never happens. If in the NL wildcard game, Juan Soto single does not go under Trent Grisham's glove and right. Comes oh, yeah. back this year, wins the gold glove and center. Pretty nice redemption story there. <laughs> um, National League right fielder Mookie, his fifth straight, no surprise. Uh, to me, the most interesting name on this whole list is that Joey Gallo is now a gold glove winner, winning into the American League. A guy who used to exclusively known, be known for his power. Now I guess he's known for his D as well. Roberto Perez, a catcher in the AL. Tucker Barnhart in the NL. Pitching side of things, Griff Canning, pitcher for the Bruins in the AL, also the Angels, Max Fried in the NL, UCLA Bruin and the Jew. Love the pitching side of things here on the pitcher side. Uh, anything that you would like to add to the Gold Glove Awards? Pretty cut and dry. Yeah, the NL Gold Glove team is just such a better lineup. I mean, looking through that AL infield, it's a lot of no-names and guys who wouldn't have known. Yes, the National League Gold Glove winners, I agree, are way more of a complete team than the American League, without question. Yeah, so I guess it's good to see people uh, 
Uh, it's good to get recognition if, if you're not a good hitter. All right, three quick things, and then we will wrap it up. Uh, Bob Nightingale reports that Francisco Lindor is officially on the block. We mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, if you had to name one team right now, where is Francisco Lindor playing in 2021? Wait, Chase, can I, can I do something? Can I bring up something else? Sure. What do you think about this report from Jeff Passan that went out about a half hour ago? That Tony La Russa had a, got a DUI in February and was arrested. I'm going to try to make a face bomb that's loud enough for everyone to hear on camera. I didn't smack my head very well, but um, I mean, I'm sure it's true. I mean, he's, he's, no, old... it's true. Chase. It's true. You don't, it's true. I, it, if the white Sox didn't think that was going public, then shame on them. That's my answer. I mean, that's like super crotchety old man shit. Here's my follow-up to your question. Do you think that's because Tony LaRusse is so old that he doesn't know how to use Uber? Yeah. <laughs> that's not – I mean, that's a fucking – I mean, that's a bet. What I'm trying to see what he blew. Yeah, these are the important – these are the important details in the weeds. Uh, 0.093. Oof. All right, so not – I mean, again, shouldn't be driving like that, but not that far over .08 at least. I don't think that matters. No, it does not in the eyes of the law, nor should you ever get behind the wheel if you're blowing a point, anything. But I digress. Francisco Lindor on the block. Where do you think he ends up next year? Go. One team. I, I think the Mets just pony up and give Cleveland whatever they ask for. I agree. I think the Mets have the players to make a trade worth and the work and the money to sign them long term. I wonder uh, if Syndergaard gets thrown in that deal somewhere. I think it'll be G if I take a guess, it'll be Nemo, JD Davis, and a pitching prospect. I think that gets it done. Two quality big league hitters and an arm. What if they what if the Indians say Lindor for Syndergaard straight up? Who says no? If I'm anyone who roots for the Indians, I say no. I kinda like it. <laughs> Sticking in New York, the Yankees have shaken up their minor league affiliates. They will no longer be uh, – they will no longer have the Trenton Thunder as their double-A team. The single-A Charleston River Dogs are also gone, as well as the short-season short season Staten Island Yankees. Double-A is now going to be the Somerset Patriots. But, Bryce, the reason I want to bring this up to you is because the Yankees' new affiliate in the minor leagues – are the Hudson Valley Rivercats. So Camp Scatico, if you are going on camp trips to the minor league baseball game, you will now be seeing the future New York Yankees out there. And I thought that was pretty fucking cool and thought you would as well. Dude, that, that, was, uh, that was my home park. <laughs> Did that, 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 I mean, I didn't, I, I, Somerset County, baby. Uh, Mount Horb Elementary School, class of 2000. I'm interested that you're more focused on the Somerset part than the Scatico component of it. Well, I've been like super duper. I've been super duper into uh, what's it called? I, I mean, I had the Somerset thing. I mean, I knew the Somerset news was coming. I didn't. I wasn't aware of the Scatico piece, so I've been focused on the Somerset County. All right. Last piece of news I have is that uh, Jeb Lunau just will not go away. Former GM of the Astros is suing the team, um, arguing that he was used as a scapegoat uh, and that Rob Manfred and Jim Crane uh, conspired together to get him out and be the scapegoat of the Astros, sign-stealing scandal, uh, and that he should be paid more than the 
Uh, he signed an extension for more than $31 million in 2018 that the firing cost him more than $22 million in guaranteed compensation. At what point will this guy just go the fuck away? He, um, I mean, people like this don't go away. You can't kill a cockroach, man. Or I it's guess you can, but a nuclear blast can. It's, it's unbelievable. There's a part of me that hopes that he wins almost so that Jim Crane has to pay him $20 million because it would make the punishment slightly better in my mind. But I just want this guy to go away so badly. Yeah, it's, this whole story needs to go. And then people can start getting on. There's room on the bandwagon team. Yep. Other than that, uh, tune in to MLB Network this week, 6 o'clock Eastern each day. Manager of the year, Cy Young, MVPs are going to be announced, and then the offseason will really get going. That's all I got for today. Any concluding thoughts on your end? Um, yeah, I got a couple. One, watch the Country Music Awards on Wednesday. Didn't that happen like a few weeks ago that you were watching it? Dude, they never end these award shows. They keep cycling out. Luke Combs, much love. Maybe I'll watch with this girl that my cousin tried to set me up with who knows we'll see how it goes uh point two reiterate the point from earlier uh don't drink and drive uh any sort of alcohol is too much to get behind the wheel um even if it's just one beard uh no such thing is good enough either sober or you're not and of course get your flu shot my last concluding thought would be um, New York football giants. I hope you never play the Washington football team again. This is two years in a row that the team formerly known as the R words are going to fuck up my team's draft pick, but I digress. Nice to see you win, I guess with Bryce Holden. My name is Jason Wadorski. This is the underdog sports baseball show. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.